This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. I'm curious, why are we committed to extending uh, the copyright term for 20 years? Is this something that we put on the table or or is this something that we accepted because uh, the totality of the agreement? For the question, good morning. Um, that's the outcome of the of the negotiations, and it's it's part of the negotiations of the whole agreement. Fair. So I, I take that to mean that that's not something we put on the table, uh, but that's something we accepted because broadly, overall, the agreement's in our benefit. And uh, while this provision may not well be uh, overall, it's still worth it. Last week, the government took another step towards copyright term extension in Canada inserting extension provisions within Finance Minister Krista Freeland's Budget Implementation Act bill. Despite recommendations from its own copyright review, students, teachers, librarians, and copyright experts to include a registration requirement for the additional 20 years of protection, the government chose instead to extend term without including protection to mitigate against the harms. Lucy Guibault is an internationally renowned expert on international copyright law professor of law and associate dean at the Schulich School of Law at Dalhousie University and the associate director of the school's Law and Technology Institute. Days before the release of the bill, she joined me for a discussion on copyright term extension, its implications, and the government's implementation options. One programming note, the Law Bites podcast will take a break for a few weeks, but return later this month. Lucy, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad that you've come on. As you know, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Krista Freeland recently tabled Budget 2022 and buried towards the very back of Annex 3, the very end, no other discussion, was an announcement that Canada would introduce copyright term extension, extending the term of copyright from life of the author plus an additional 50 years to life plus 70 Uh, And we know that the move comes in response to a trade agreement with the United States and Mexico, but certainly is not without some controversy and opposition. In fact, on this podcast, I've had Jennifer Jenkins from Duke talking about the implications of term extension. Paul Held came on some time ago to talk about some of his research. So it's an area that that we've canvassed before, but uh, given that it's now very much on the table, I'm really grateful that uh, you've come on to talk a bit about it. You've worked in international intellectual property for decades. You've quite literally written many books that touch on these issues, but can we kind of start from the beginning in a sense? Let's start the conversation with a bit of copyright term 101 for those who are new to the issue. You know, what's the international standard? Where does this pressure to extend come from? Thank you. Yes. Well, uh, the international standard uh, is in the Berne Convention. Uh, you may know, of course, that the Berne Convention uh, is an age-old document. And the standard in there says that the life, um, the copyright protection lasts the life of the author plus 50 years. This is really the standard. And the standard has also been recognized in the TRIPS Agreement, which was adopted in 1994 uh, as you know, part of the uh, WTO uh, package. So internationally, it's really life of the author plus 50 years. However, some countries have uh, gone their own way in uh, granting longer term protection. And among those, the countries of Europe, Uh, the European Union extended the protection already in 1992. 
Uh, and so all the members of the European Union now recognize the term of protection of life of author plus 70 years. The United States uh, followed in 1998 with extending their protection and they don't calculate necessarily uh, in relation to the life of author, but they calculate from the date of publication. And in the United States, it's 95 years from the date of publication, which is indeed much longer than, than what we have here. And if you think Mexico protects for uh, life of author plus 100 years. So there is an, indeed international pressure, but I think the biggest pressure is, is really coming from the United States because um, as we've seen, uh, even in the uh, European uh, Union trade agreements, uh, this had not, well, has been discussed, I guess, but did not make it to the final agreement. So the pressure is really in the uh, latest trade agreement with the United States and Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've certainly, you know, it, it's been there for, for many, many years through multiple trade negotiations finally came to fruition. Now, now you were a participant in a detailed submission to the government during a consultation on copyright term extension last year. So last year, the government held a consultation knowing that this was included in the trade agreement, talking about how they might uh, implement those trade obligations. And that submission was co-written by many of Canada's leading IP experts. It's a, it's a great submission for those that, that are looking to learn more about the issue. And I, I wanted to touch on a few things that, that people will find there. The first is the impact of term extension. You know, What does the research tell us about the impact in particular, and I know based on having seen your submission, about some of the potential harms that can arise from extending the copyright term? Yes. When you think of extending term, the counterpart is that you delay works becoming public domain works. So you're being essentially creating a, a, a lag in the time that a work will become public domain. So the, the research tells us that the extra protection that is granted through extension um, does not generate necessarily increased access or increased uh, publication of works. Basically, those works that are so old will not uh, necessarily be exploited in the last 20 years of their life or, or, or their protection. On the other hand, if they do go into the public domain, other parties than the rights holders usually have an interest in you know, accessing and exploiting those works and for a much cheaper price. So empirical research done in, in Australia by uh, legal scholars uh, and other research have shown that there's this discrepancy uh, in, in really access to works, that extending the protection does not increase the access. And also um, what's necessary to, to realize as well is that it's not the individual authors who usually benefit from the extended uh, term of protection. It's usually the publishers and the other intermediaries in the, in the chain. Yeah, no, that's, that's critically important to focus on. There's often talk about creators benefiting, uh, but the data, as you suggest, tells us that that's often not the case. In fact, I wanted to, to focus on that even a little bit more. There, there's an argument not only that creators will benefit from this, even though that, that runs counter to much of the economic evidence so far, but also that you know Canadian creators need Canada to extend its term to ensure that 
those creators would benefit from extended terms elsewhere. So if we're at life plus 50 in the U.S. is life plus 70 or the 95 from publication or uh, Mexico at 100 or uh, Europe at life plus 70, you said, so we do it. There are obviously some of our trading partners at longer with longer terms. The argument is, well, if Canadian creators want those extended terms, let's say in the United States, it's our largest cultural export market. We need to do the same. Uh, you know, is that accurate? Uh, or, or is it in fact an overstatement of what the reality is in terms of the kind of protection Canadian creators get once their works are, are found elsewhere? To me, it's not even an overstatement. It's a false statement. Because when you look the, uh, at the Un United States Copyright Act, there's no, uh, there's no difference being made between uh, foreign works or um, domestic works. And uh, that means that uh, there's a single term of protection given to all works exploited in the United States. Uh, so therefore, Canadian works will be protected the same way in the United States for the same duration of protection. So the false, the falsity to me is, uh, it's, it's really the foreigners who would benefit more of having this extension of term than our Canadian authors elsewhere. So, of course, the Berne Convention does have this uh, shorter term rule, uh, which states that uh, contracting parties may uh, recognize in their legislation that uh, uh, for work will be protected only uh, for the duration of uh, the protection in the country of origin. Uh, but this is, this is an optional provision on, in the Berne Convention. The United States has not implemented it. Mexico has not implemented it, but Europe has. So for, from the perspective of the Canadian author, extending the term of protection might be interesting in Europe, but it makes absolutely no difference in the United States or Mexico. Yeah, that's super interesting. So from a, you know, given that, of course, it's the US and Mexico that are the focal point, given it's, it's the trade agreement that we have with them. The, there, there quite literally is no impact in terms of the amount of protection that Canadian authors will get in those jurisdictions after we extend the term. This only has the effect of limiting Canadians' access to their own works as those works are locked down longer, take longer to enter into the public domain, and granting those foreign works longer terms of uh, protection. Exactly. So, so a lot more uh, money will go uh, to those uh, foreign works. So yes, it will increase the, the flow of, of uh, remuneration and royalties uh, down south instead of uh, the other way around necessarily. Okay, and that and certainly that that though that flow or that economic impact, I think highlights why we see some of the the lobbying that we see there. there there's there's economic benefit that accrues to the U.S. They've been big. They've been big uh, lobbyists and advocates of this extension. Canada has, by and large, through successive governments, tried to resist. I think. I think, even in many ways, highlighted one of the reasons why there just aren't the economic benefits here. And if anything, there are costs to Canadians for that that come out of that kind of extension. I agree. Yes. Yeah. So that's the economic side. The submission also talks about constitutional issues about freedom of expression and how it fits within some of those frameworks. Can you, can you touch on some of those uh, important principles as well? Yes. Um, of course, I've mentioned before, when you limit or delay uh, works coming into the public domain, it also puts a limit on uh, people's access to culture and access to 
protect uh, no longer protected works. So limits people's freedom of expression. Uh, freedom of expression that's guaranteed under Section uh, 2B of the Charter of Rights and, and Freedom uh, protects the, the, the freedom to receive and uh, impart and build on, uh, you know, expression. And by limiting access, by delaying uh, works that are freely reusable, uh, you limit people's freedom of expression. So it's twofold. It's, it's limiting the access that, and, and also limiting the possibility to build on by prolonging the protection. You prolong the need to obtain permission. So therefore, there is this, this cost to society uh, and, and obstacle in being able to, to build on uh, existing works. So there's a definite... Uh, freedom of expression impact of this measure. Yeah. Now, so all of these issues, the freedom of expression issues you just touched on, the economic issues, the data that we have, the the, the reality of what the actual impact would be, you know, have been top of mind for those focused on copyright and copyright term for some time. Now, this issue did arise several years ago when the government conducted its copyright review. So that was mandated as part of the reforms that took place in 2012. It was an extensive review led by the Industry Committee, Standing Committee on Industry Science and Technology. They did look at this issue. Can you just remind us uh, what the committee recommended in terms of how to address the issue around term extension? Very interestingly, recommendation, uh, recommendation six of that report was uh, uh, proposing that in the event that the term of copyright is extended, the government of Canada consider amending the Copyright Act to ensure that copyright in a work cannot be enforced beyond the current term unless the alleged infringement occurred after the registration of the work. So basically, recommendation six of this report that was published in June to, uh, 2019 was saying that uh, any extension of terms should be accompanied by a uh, registration system. Okay, that, that's really interesting. Can, can you unpack a little bit what a registration system might, might look like? I know I've been an advocate. There's been a lot of other people uh, who have met, frankly, many of the IP scholars from across the country have been advocating for our registration system. How, do, how does that work? And how does that work, especially for, for those that are unfamiliar with the issue around formalities that, that typically says that you can't require registration? How, how does registration for this extra 20 years fit within all of that? The rule set by the Berne Convention is that it, it does indeed prohibit formalities for the existence and exercise of rights protected under the Berne Convention. Now, if you remember the standard that I mentioned, uh, the standard is really the life of author plus 50 years after the author's death. So you cannot imp or impose a registration obligation for that period of time but there's certainly no obstacle at all for imposing a registration uh, system for the additional 20 years that fall outside of that standard. So Canada already has a system of voluntary registration. The system is set up, has existed for decades and decades. Um, it would be a small administrative um, uh, step to take to, to ask that anyone who wants to exercise and enforce their rights on the additional 20 years after the 
life of the author plus 50 years, that they would register their rights at the CEPO uh, using the same form that has been existing for decades. And it, it would not be covered by the international prohibition on formalities because it's for that portion of time that is beyond this, the international standard. So it would be an easy uh, thing to implement. And, you know, internationally, it's also not uh, um, unheard of because the United States, for example, also has a registration system. And, uh, you know, litigants uh, benefit from registering, uh, registering their works because they get statutory damages, attorney's fees and costs. That to which they would not be eligible without registration. There is precedent worldwide for registration, especially for, for that portion that falls outside of the scope of the Berne Convention. Okay. I'm, I'm so glad that you clarified that. You know, I have occasionally heard some try to suggest, and the government hints at it even in the consultation they did, that somehow registration, while even though recommended by the committee studying the issue, uh, somehow is offside. And, and it's quite clear that that's just not the case. It, it is consistent with the international law. It's, cons- it's, it's adopted by others. We already have a registration system in place. And it does strike me that one of the real benefits here is that those rights holders that want to have that additional protection get it with practically no effort whatsoever. But then the vast majority, likely the vast majority of work or many works that, that are set to come into the public domain, which may not have commercial value anymore, but have historical importance or otherwise, those assuming there's no effort to register and extend will actually fall into the public domain. It's a really, um, I think, interesting and uh, important creative risk mitigation or harm mitigation strategy in terms of term extent, in terms of dealing with term extension. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a registration system would have also the uh, collateral benefit that it would eliminate to a certain extent the whole issue of orphan works. Uh, You may know that orphan works are works that are still protected by copyright, but the rights owner of of which you can either not identify or locate. Now, uh, you know, libraries and museums uh, worldwide have collections full of orphan works. And the problem is indeed in identifying and locating those authors to ask permission to digitize or to to exploit the the collection. Now, a registration system for the last additional uh, section of, uh, you know, those 20 years of protection that are added would mitigate the offer works uh, problem and would enable all you know, users or libraries or, or all the holder of co- uh, collections to, um, to be able to digitize and to make that uh, wealth of uh, works accessible to the public. So there, there, there are benefits that go beyond preservation of the public domain here. There's the actual ability to use works that right now, you know, uh, education institutions, those seeking to digitize may feel represent some legal risks because they're unsure of, as to whether or not whether or not the where the copyright owner is whether they have the necessary permissions this actually helps address some of those issues as well which further I, I take it if you're if you're enhancing the likelihood of digitization you're actually further enhancing access to Canadian culture and works by moving forward with this kind of system exactly 
Yeah. Yes. So, so despite all of that, uh, you know, we we end this end the submission. We now have uh, Minister Freeland saying that there is going to be this extension. We're not sure as we record this precisely how they're going to do so, other than by knowing that by having put it in the budget, where quite frankly it does not belong, and the Liberals, when they were in opposition, said that they were going to put an end to this kind of practice of jamming in various provisions that have nothing to do with the budget. And so it's, I think, I, I, I think there's a whole nother conversation there about the propriety of doing this, but if we, if we deal with the reality, it's, it's there, it is in the budget. It, the implementation is likely to come as part of a budget implementation act that will be introduced in the weeks ahead. And so that's why there, there are these concerns. How will the government go ahead and doing, go ahead and do this? Now that sparked another letter, uh, submission, this time from an even larger group of intellectual property experts from across Canada. I was pleased to be part of this this group, 25 IP experts. It touches on two issues, term extension, as well as some comments that are in the budget around copyright and education. Uh, can you walk us through a little bit uh, what's, what's in that letter? Yes, thank you. The, the letter is exactly denouncing the point that you just made in the introduction to this. <laughs> Uh, uh, aspect of the discussion is is indeed the intent of the government to uh, sneak this uh, term extension provision into a an omnibus uh, budget implementation uh, implementation bill. It's not the proper vehicle to implement this provision. Exactly for all the reasons that we've given in this podcast so far is that you can't just extend copyright protection without encroaching on freedom of expression. And you need to, I think, accompany the extension of protection by other measures to mitigate the impact on the public domain. And you cannot do that and um, give the proper consideration and debate that all these measures need uh, by putting it in a budget bill. Um, There are, you know, the much there's too much at stake i think uh and all the co-authors of the letter also uh share the view that there's too much at stake in this in terms of copyright policy to just put it uh and and dismiss it um so quickly especially so sorry if you if you add that they they mentioned the whole issue of um educational publishing industry and copyright. Uh, this is a surprise in the, in the government's intent to, to address this in, um, in the bill. So for all the reasons, it makes no sense to just rush it through and to put it in that bill. Yeah, no, and well, I certainly agree. It's why I was so happy to, to sign on to sign on to the letter. You know, well, why don't we, close with this, you know, let's say the government made you the lead advisor on, on these issues. And, and quite clearly they're facing, you know, trade pressures we've just talked about. We know there are significant lobbying pressures that quite clearly will have led to some of the comments you just cited around education. Um, but at, at the same time, there are certainly concerns for the access to Canadian culture that we've talked about, for the economic impact, whether on consumers and education. You have thoughts on, on how the government ought to be navigating some of these issues, particularly around term extension, but to touch on some of these other copyright issues that are now front and center more broadly as well, if you like. 
Well, if I were a lead advisor, I would certainly advise to not to sneak uh, the issue into a budget bill and to take the time necessary to deal with all the matters and pro conduct proper consultations among all stakeholders. Um, uh, uh, the court battle in York versus Access Copyright, for example, considered only certain aspects of the educational uh, use issues and not all. Um, and all everything would need to be on the table and discussed um, and, and supported by proper, reliable, verifiable empirical evidence about the practices in educational institutions uh, uh, with copyrighted works. And the same also for a copyright term extension. Uh, we've discussed a number of, of measures that should be taken here uh, to complement the extension of term. Now we're bound by treaty with the US and Mexico to implement this, but we're, we're still free to decide how we will implement the term extension and whether we will have measures to uh, complement it. And certainly I think that the registration system is a serious um, option that we should absolutely consider for the last portion of the 20 years and this should be discussed among all stakeholders and it would be easy to implement because we have already the administrative uh, support and registry existing. So if I was the lead advisor, yes, I would take the time and I would properly consult and listen and try to implement uh, a, a balanced uh, result. Let's hope at a minimum that the government is listening because, uh, you know, the the notion that the that experts from across the country are sounding the alarm and saying we've got real concerns both in terms of a process perspective but also from an out in terms of some of the outcomes and we know that that governments for decades have had some of those same kinds of concerns and yet here we are with the government potentially moving forward without having listened to the experts without having followed the evidence uh, is i think for many deeply deeply troubling uh lucy thanks so much for joining me on the podcast thank you for having me That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron Leboy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.